for the rest of you, we're just uh, continuing a series we started last week called the, uh, the Good Samaritan Challenge. I want to challenge us with the story of the Good Samaritan because uh, to me, uh, you know, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan answers a lot of questions that I think it's important for all Christians, especially Christians who are living in a diverse city to answer. Questions like, who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love your neighbor? And, and even personal questions that are important that everybody's trying to answer, like, how do I justify myself? Remember, in the introduction to the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the question that the guy, the expert in the law, asked Jesus is, how can I justify myself? He wanted to justify himself and so that's how he gets into this conversation. And Jesus says, well, it's simple. Just love God and love your neighbor. That's all we really need from you, and everything will be fine. And he thinks about that for a minute and says, that's, uh, that's open to interpretation. So who is my neighbor? And then Jesus, Jesus answers by telling this parable. And we're just going to look at the very first part of it today. Uh, starting in verse 30, and it's printed in your programs if you'd like to follow along. Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So also a Levite, when he had came come to that place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This is God's word for God's people today. Now, one of the challenges with being a Bible teacher or being a Bible reader for that matter is that so often when you read the Bible, it's talking about a world and a culture and values that it's just very hard for us to relate to, I think. But uh, in this case, there's actually, it's actually talking, it's the, Jesus is actually addressing a cultural milieu that's very similar to ours in this sense. Uh, New Testament scholars recognize in the parable of the New Testament, of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, a sort of anti-priestly rhetoric that was common in a lot of stories and a lot of jokes that people told, apparently in the... In the first century, there were a lot of people who didn't like priests, didn't like the people who ran the temple, thought they were just, just using their position to take advantage of people and to, to make money off of people. And so, so priests were the butt of a lot of jokes and things like that. And, you know, the same thing is true today, I've found. Gallup does a poll every year, has been doing it for, for uh, several decades, that measures the uh, level of respect of various professions in America. And something that's been in precipitous decline for the last 30 years or so is respect for clergy and professional religious people. And in fact, th there were a lot of headlines this year because that reached its lowest level in the history of this poll, up from, down from a high of almost over 60% in in uh, the mid-80s, now it's down to 38% of Americans who say that clergy are a generally respected, respected 
profession. And modern people in general have kind of given up on church, even though a lot of people recognize there's sort of the, the groundswell of a spiritual revival and a lot of people are into spirituality in all its various forms. Most people, it seems, have kind of given up on the church, or a lot of people have kind of given up on the church. And the most common religious, or the fastest growing religious designation today is spiritual, but not religious. In other words, I've got, I've, I'm spiritually connected, I'm spiritually sensitive, I'm spiritually in tune, but I just don't go for religious ceremonies or I'm not part of a religious institution. And so, in that sense, the people Jesus was talking to and our people today are, are in the same boat. Now, Jesus tells this story, you know, it's a, it's a story, it's a parable, not necessarily an incident that happened, but an incident that was realistic to them, of a man who's traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets mugged, he gets beat up, and the first person to come by when this guy is immobilized and lying on the side of the road helpless is a priest. And the priest was coming down from Jerusalem, so he'd just been doing his priestly duty, he'd just been worshiping at the temple. And you would expect that a guy who had just had this mountaintop experience and just encountered God and just been involved in all this worship, he'd be on some kind of spiritual high and just looking for an opportunity to serve, right? That's what you would expect. But this guy isn't quite like that. Instead, he kind of goes to the other side of the road. He doesn't want to know, doesn't want to see, doesn't want to look and he just keeps on going. And then another one, a, a, a Levite who was a member of the tribe that was devoted to service. One out of 12 of the Israelite tribes were devoted to service at the temple, devoted to ministry, and a Levite comes by and he does the same thing. He just kind of walks by like this, like, I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to see. And like I say, if you would expect, and most people would expect, that these would be the very people, the specific people, who you would think would want to stop, would want to help, would, would be willing to get involved in a difficult situation like this, you would be exactly right. That's what the people back then thought, and that's what people today think, that you know, if you're close to God, if you have a relationship with God, if you've encountered God, one of the fruits of that ought to be that when you see someone lying half dead and hopeless by the side of the road, that you'd at least be concerned, that you'd want to help out at some level or another, or, or another level, some way. And uh, that was the complaint of ancients about the priesthood, that these guys were so heavenly minded they were no earthly good and it's the complaints of moderns about the church as they see it and about uh, professional religious people as they see it you know if these people really love god why don't they love their neighbor if these people really are committed to serving god why aren't they more engaged in trying to help the hurting that are all around them and you know that's a complaint actually that the Bible agrees with as well. In Isaiah 58, the people are complaining because they're doing all these religious things and yet God isn't answering their prayers. God isn't responding to their concerns. And, and uh, Isaiah explains it to them. Isaiah says this, you know, you guys fast, but 
but God isn't listening, God isn't responding to your fast, and, and Isaiah says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe him? See, this critique is not just the critique of the popular culture, it was also the critique of God on the faith of the people who, he, who, who claimed to follow him. He's like, you guys are all religious, but you don't have any time to help the people around you. You're all spiritual, and you're doing all these rituals, but why don't you share your food with people who are hungry, share your clothes with people who are naked? And work to set those who are oppressed free. So that is God's value. So when we intuit that problem, when we intuit that issue that, well, if you're close to God, we would expect that you would care about people, you're exactly right. The New Testament says much the same thing. In James 1.27, it's a familiar verse to some of you. James says, the religion that God our fathers accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, it's interesting. Everybody is in agreement. The Word of God says it. The ancient people in Jesus' day thought it and modern people today think it too. What's the point of religion? What's the point of ritual? What's the point of all of your religious activity if you don't care for the hurting people around you? The practice of religion that doesn't manifest itself in generosity and compassion is absolutely a farce. So, so, so that, that, that's where the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where, where Jesus is trying to connect with people, and he's trying to relate to people. And, you know, I was always thinking about this today. Maybe these guys were religious but hard-hearted, or maybe they were just kind of like us, really busy. You know, I can just imagine this priest was away for a week. He was in Jerusalem doing his priestly stuff, and his wife sends a message and says, you know, the garbage is overflowing. You need to get back here and deal with it. Or the Levite has, has been away, and, and he, he's rushing back to uh, take care of his small business and the things that got le were left undone while he was on his spiritual retreat in Jerusalem. And sometimes... People then are like people now. We just feel pressure of time. We feel like we've got more stuff to do than we've got time to do it in. We feel pressure of money. We've got more obligations, financial obligations to, to meet for ourselves. And so, so we can't begin to think about trying to help other people like that. And, and, but really what that points to is I think a religion that is popular in every day and age, which is the, the religion of materialism and busyness where we fill up our schedules and so we don't have a minute to spare to help other people and we fill up our personal budgets and so we don't have a dollar to spare to help other people and that's really another way that we try to justify ourselves we try to justify ourselves by being so busy that that because we want to be as productive as possible and then there's no time to pay attention to those around us or we try to we try to validate ourselves by getting the nicest possible apartment we can have, the nicest possible car we can have, the nicest possible uh, meals we can go out to, the most fabulous vacations that we can imagine, and that's the thing that we think is going to validate us. And, but in our pursuit of that, 
we don't have any pennies left over to give to those who are hurting around them, around us. You know, and, and even sometimes when we're in a tight spot, when we're struggling to make ends meet, what's the thing you dream of? You dream of getting to a place where, where you could finally be productive and all of your time and energy could be, could be used in a, in, a, in a valuable way. Or you get, dream of a place, well, if I could only get to a place where I could get the vacation I want, if I could only get to the place where, where, where I could get an apartment or a living situation that's really comfortable for me, then I'll be able, then I'll feel secure, then I'll feel happy, then I'll feel significant. But you know, when we start thinking that way in the midst of the struggle that we're in right now, we're really making our own productivity, we're really making our own acquisition of things our new religion. We're putting faith in those things to give us the security that we're looking for and to give us to give us the sense of significance we are looking for. One of the things I think is true is that, you know, if you find yourself in the midst of your struggle right now, too busy to be, to help other people out, then probably you'll always be too busy. If you find yourself in the midst of the difficulties you're facing right now, to uh, your circumstance too tight for you to be generous to other people, then it's probably always going to be too tight for you. Because, you know, the lie of religion, of religiosity is I can purify myself, I can justify myself, I can make my existence worthy by, by doing religious things, by going to the temple, by going to church, by worshiping, by getting my theology exactly right, or, or whatever the case might be. The lie of busyness and materialism is that I can justify myself, I can find security, I can find happiness through my own productivity, through filling my schedule up, or, or through uh, meeting all of my needs, and, and, uh, and that's the thing that will, find, that will make my existence worth having. Uh, but busyness and religiosity are really driven by the, by the same quest, and stinginess and materialism, that quest to to find a way to justify myself, to find a way to validate myself through my own efforts. And so I want to offer you an alternative mentality. Rather than, you know, I, I think we're all trying to improve our, our circumstances, we're all trying to improve our situation. We all have maybe a picture that, maybe it's an explicit picture or maybe an unconscious picture of what we need and what our life ought to look like. But let me give you an alternative way of designing your ambition to build a life with margin built into it so that when you get the life that you want, you build into it time to help and to serve those around you who are in need. And when you get the income that you want, you build a life or life plan or a personal budget plan that has a margin in it so that you can be generous to those in need and you can be generous to good causes like New City Kids or whatever the, the case might be. Uh, and these are two very old biblical principles, the, the idea of Sabbath and the idea of tithe. You know, in our, 
modern age, the ideal is the person who's just working 24-7, right? 24-7, 365, you're always on, always available, always engaged in whatever it is you're pursuing. But that's not the biblical ideal. The biblical ideal is one day in seven is a Sabbath to the Lord. And traditionally in the church and, and, and throughout the history of God's people, that's been a day reserved for worship, a day reserved for fellowship, and a day reserved for acts of necessity and mercy. You know, for some of us, maybe it's a day when you do go drop in on some friends who are hurting and just spend some time with them, give a friend some, some help, uh, you know, maybe you, it'd be easier for you to hire movers to help them move their stuff, but maybe you just go and help them move because you wanna, wanna be physically present uh, as someone's going through a difficult transition. So having a day when you can pay attention to people, serve people, listen to people, visit to people, respond to their needs, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's a family member or a friend or just a, an individual in your orbit who is in need, is, uh, is a, 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 way of, uh, living, a way of living that, uh, that shows the, that, that it's a way of organizing your life so that you show that it's not all about me and it's not all dependent on my effort, and I can be inefficient with my time. I can give some of my time away because ultimately I'm resting in God's grace. And it's the same idea with the, with the tithe. It's to create a margin in your personal budget so that you can be spontaneously generous, so that when you hear about a need in the world, you can respond to that need. And you're not maxed out trying to attain things, trying to experience things, trying to pursue things that are never going to satisfy you, but rather you've established a margin in your life so that you can be responsive to the challenges and, and the, the people who are struggling around you and the needs that are around you. Uh, and I know this is a challenging, and I think for some of you, maybe even to talk like this, it's unrealistic because of where you're at in your career, or it's unrealistic because of where, what's going on in your life at this moment. But I would just challenge you to make this the ambition that you have. As you think about where you'd like your life to be, as you think about where you'd like your career to be, what you'd like your life to look at, what you'd like your lifestyle to look at. What about building in a lifestyle of observing the Sabbath so you're giving a day away every year? Building in a lifestyle of practicing the tithe so that you're able to be spontaneously generous to the people around you. Now, that doesn't come naturally. That's not the natural way that Americans live, but I think that this comes supernaturally. You know, the priest taught these things. The priest believed these things. The priest lived according to these things, but he couldn't do it when he was walking down the road from Jerusalem. Because I think probably was thinking, you know, I did my duty. I've been working in the temple, doing my temple stuff all day. I just can't wait to get home and put my feet up and watch some sports or something. But, uh, you know, and we all kind of have those moments. But here's the thing. I think perhaps this priest, this Old Testament priest, as he was coming from Jerusalem, and he was re returning home, maybe he wasn't full of the joy of the Lord. Maybe he wasn't full of 
the spirit. Maybe he was experiencing some dissonance. Because you know what the priests did? Is they served at the temple. They offered up bulls and goats. And people would bring these animals. And they'd have to cut them up. And, and say prayers on behalf of the people who had offered these things. And, and I'm sure it was a lot of work. And it was a mess. And it was difficult work. And you were dealing with people. And maybe some of those people were difficult and demanding. And, and, and also, I think in the back of the priest's mind had to be the sense that what is really the point of this? How does this all work? And, and how, how is this really making an impact? It says in the book of Hebrews that they knew it was impossible ultimately for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so the priest was living with the sense that, you know, day after day they'd be offering these priests the, these these sacrifices on behalf of people and people would bring their animals and they'd be just doing the work of, of organizing these services and saying their prayers and doing these things. But uh, they had to wonder, is this really having an effect? Or maybe it just made them feel important, made them feel smug because they were the gate, the priests in the Old Testament were the gateway to God. The people couldn't go into the most holy place. The people couldn't couldn't offer these sacrifices themselves. Only the priests could do it, and only under these special, uh, special occasions. And so maybe they felt justified, like they were special in some way. But, but whatever it was, it didn't... Everybody noticed, everybody who knew the priests and dealt with the priests know that it, knew that it didn't make them better people. It didn't change their lives, and the priests were just regular and were just selfish and we're just high maintenance like everybody else. But uh, all of that points to the fact that there was a need for another sacrifice. The inadequacy and the struggle of the Old Testament sacrifice and the ineffectuality of the Old Testament sacrifice points all of us to the need for a final sacrifice. In 1 John chapter 9, the Bible puts it this way. This is how God has showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, all the Old Testament sacrifices were inadequate. All the Old Testament sacrifices were kind of futile. And all of that religious activity really didn't accomplish anything. And so the priest was probably kind of troubled as he went down from Jerusalem and was going back home. It's like, well, what was the point of all that? Well, this was the point of it. All of those sacrifices, all of that bloodshed, all of that ceremony was there to point people to their need for the final sacrifice. God loved us and sent his son to be the final atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the universal human project, as we talked about last week, the universal human project is to justify ourselves. And we do all this stuff. And if we're religious, we do all this religious stuff. If we're ambitious, we do all this busy stuff. If we're materialistic, we spend all this money on all these different things, trying to justify ourselves, trying to validate ourselves. But what the gospel says is ultimately we cannot justify ourselves, no matter how much money we make, no matter how busy we are, no matter how religious we are, no matter how charitable we are. The only thing that will justify you, justify me, 
is the atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the offer of the gospel, and this is the opportunity of the gospel for all of us to realize that we can't justify ourselves through our own achievements or even through our own offerings, but we need to trust in the sacrifice of Christ. And that's, that, that's where all of this is leading to, the justification that comes through Christ. When you get that, that changes everything. When you get that, that transforms everything. Because if you look at yourself and you realize that you are a recipient of the mercy of God, then you've got to be merciful to other people. If you realize that you have been a recipient of the charity of God, then how can you not be charitable to those in need around you? If you are, see yourself as someone who was the recipient of the healing of God's grace, by His wounds we are healed, then how can you not work to help heal those who are hurting around you? See, the good story of the Good Samaritan, ultimately, it's not first and foremost a picture of what we need to do for others. Ultimately and essentially, the story of the Good Samaritan is the story of what Jesus has done for us. And if we come to believe that, if we come to see that, if we're willing to receive that kind of grace from Him, one of the things that will happen is we'll come to a place where we're willing to show that kind of grace to those others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace of Christ that when he saw us helpless and broken, he came down and rescued us and redeemed us. I pray that you would give us the grace to show that kind of generosity to others. We pray in his holy name. Amen.